Today we're continuing through our series on the Beatitudes. And so we're, Matt, uh, Brother Jesus is on the third Beatitude today. And, uh, and, it's, and it's an important one for us today. I'm going to tell you why. I don't think it's any accident that this particular verse and this particular beatitude falls on this week in the life of our country. If you force me to pick, um, to pick one verse or the top couple of verses that would be the antidote for the disease that is plaguing our nation, this would be one of them. And so I don't think it's any accident that, we, that fell on this. We picked this series before anything ever happened in our country. And quite honestly, if you were to pick a verse that would be the antidote to what's some of the main struggles in my own heart, it would be this one. And so let's read it together. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus is speaking. Third beatitude, he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now let's spend just a minute and let's, let's talk about what that word meekness means. Because it's critical in understanding what in the world Jesus is talking about and saying that we need to do. The, the word meek comes from the Greek word praus. Praus. And, and listen carefully, I'm not going to spend much time on this. The Greek word praus is a Greek word that means power under control. Power under control. The Greeks most often use that word to describe a broken horse. A broken horse. And that's key to understanding what Jesus is telling us to do here. Because here's the thing. There's a difference between a wild horse and a broken horse. A wild horse is extremely powerful, but it's absolutely out of control. Right? A wild horse, a wild horse is guided by one thing and one thing alone, and that's its own will and its own passions. It's out of control. But a broken horse, or a meek horse, if you will, listen carefully, it still has all the exact same amount of power as an unbroken horse, but the broken horse's power is under control. It's, it's being guided by its rider or its driver, and that, that power that the broken horse has, which is just as uh, significant as the unbroken horse, it's being submitted under authority. And it's being used for the good of its rider. So it's important to remember, okay, what that means. Meekness means power under control for utilizing it for good. Now, it's also important to remember that one of the common misconceptions is that meekness is a synonym for weakness. It's not. Uh, People think that meekness uh, means that you're shy or it means that you're timid, but it's not. Meekness is actually the opposite of weakness. It's the opposite of it. Um, and, and, and like it's literally impossible for a weak person to be meek. They can't do it because weak people aren't powerful. And meek people can, can only, or meekness rather, can only be displayed when that person is actually powerful, but they control and they use that power for the good of other people. Now, One of the primary ways that meekness is displayed through your life is through self-control, through self-control. When someone insults you, you display meekness when you don't insult them back. When someone hates you, meekness is displayed when you don't hate them back, but you respond to them in kindness. When someone persecutes you, 
You display meekness when you respond to them, not by persecuting them back, but you respond in love. That's meekness. It's displayed through self-control. The power's there, but you control it for good and not for evil. I could go on and on and on, but that is the point. Self-control, folks, is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of incredible strength, actually. Y'all with me? Proverbs 16, 32. Don't turn there, just listen. The writer of Proverbs says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Okay, so listen what Jesus is literally saying in this beatitude. Don't miss this. Jesus is saying that the full extent of happiness, that the highest form of human blessing that you and I can experience is when a person is not driven by their passions but keeps their power under control for the good of other people. That's what he just said. And at the end of it, he says what happens. He says, uh, we shall inherit the earth. That then when we, we're going to experience the highest form of blessing, the highest form of human satisfaction when we're not driven by our passions, but we keep our power under control, utilize it for the good of others, because we will inherit the earth. Now, Jesus, y'all got to keep in mind that Jesus was actually speaking this to an audience. He was on the side of a hill in the Sea of Galilee, and he said those words that the meek will inherit the earth, and I guarantee you that that original audience, that would have blown their minds. They would have thought that was an absolutely radical and crazy statement. Because what were the Jewish people looking for? What were they hoping for in the Messiah? The the Jewish people, make no mistake, they were wanting to inherit the earth, but they were looking for a Messiah who would show up and inherit the earth through overthrowing their enemies with power and conquering them. And so when the Messiah did show up, you say, hey, hey, you're not going to inherit the earth by conquering folks with your power. You're going to inherit the earth by submitting your power for people's good and not for harm. And they would have thought that was crazy. But before we start talking about what this looks like for you and me, I want to give you a couple of reasons why this particular beatitude is a lot harder to live out than the first two. This is the first beatitude, in my opinion, that's, that's actually, I think it's the most difficult of the three so far. Okay, because in the first two Beatitudes, you're only dealing with yourself and with God. You're only dealing with yourself and with God, right? When you realize your poverty of spirit, when you mourn over your sin, that's an interaction between God and you. That's it. Listen carefully. But the first Beatitude, or rather the third Beatitude, is the first one where you actually have to start applying it to other people. And that's a lot harder to do. Okay, let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's say you're spending some time in prayer and you're getting quiet before the Lord and you're praying and the Holy Spirit sort of reveals to your heart that there's an area of sin in your life. That's honestly not that hard to swallow, right? He's God. He can point out sin in my life all he wants to. And so when God reveals sin in my life, that's not a huge deal for me. He's God. I'm like, all right, God, thank you for revealing that to me. But... What happens and how do you feel when your spouse reveals sin in your life? That's not, as, that's not as easy to handle. When your friend or your spouse walks up to you and says, hey, I want to talk to you about some sin in your life, our flesh starts bowing up to that. We don't like it when people do that. And so it's these sort of horizontal encounters um, with people that the, attitude, or the beatitude of meekness actually has to be applied. This power under control has to be applied, and that's a lot easier said than done. 
Okay? Now, here's the other reason why meekness is harder to live out than the other two. And it's this. It's because there's always a temptation when we hear that meekness means power under control. There's always a temptation to immediately start thinking about all the other people in your life that need to live it out. Y'all with me? I don't know about you, but when I read that, that's power under control, I immediately started thinking, I know some people that need to listen to this sermon. And we, we start elbowing our wives and our husbands and saying, hey, are you listening? Power under control for the good of other people. So listen, right? There's a temptation to do that. Or there's a temptation to think power under control. I know a group of people that needs to hear this out. They need to hear it. Resist that temptation today. Resist that temptation today. Ask the Lord to show you the areas of your life where you need to be living it out. Because Jesus doesn't say, blessed are you when other people are meek. He said, blessed when you and I are meek. And so that's critical, okay? Now, to help us understand what meekness actually looks like in our lives, let's, let's talk about a few examples of what meekness is not, what meekness doesn't look like. So if meekness is power under control for the benefit of others, then the opposite of that would be you utilizing your power for your own benefit at the expense of others. <clears throat> so let's say you're hanging out with a group of people, or maybe you're on social media, and someone says something to you that's really insulting, okay? And then all of a sudden, you have this moment where you have this perfect, witty response that comes to your mind that's gonna be awesome and it's gonna be perfect and witty and it's gonna make them look really stupid. What's never happens to me, when somebody says something really insulting, I just lock up and then I think of something perfect to say like three days later. Anybody else like that to me? But let's just say that it, it happens and they insult you and then you, the, the, the quick, witty response that's gonna make them look dumb comes immediately to your mind. Then you have a choice. You can either respond with the quick, witty response that makes them look dumb, you can blow them up, or you can respond in kindness. If you actually go forward with the witty response that makes them look dumb, that's you using your power for your own benefit. That's the opposite of meekness. Okay, so maybe your husband or your wife or, or your roommate or something isn't acting the way you want them to act. They aren't doing what you want them to do. So you confront them in anger or you use harsh words, or even you use silence to try to get them to conform to the behavior that you want them to conform to. That's you using your power for your own benefit. That's the opposite of meekness, okay? Or let's say you're a boss, um, and you have employees, and you sort of use intimidation to try to get them to perform the way you want them to perform, or maybe you're an employee, and you try to undermine your boss, to make him look bad. All those are the opposite of meekness. It's you using your own power for your own benefit. And I could go on and on and on, but I wanna give you a story in my life of where I actually failed miserably in this, just so you know that you're not alone. And um, guys, this story honestly is really bad. And so I want you to hear me, hear me all the way out uh, after the story, because y'all are gonna hear this and you go, you're gonna think my pastor's a pagan, but I, I, I repented of this sin. And so, Hang with me till the end. Years ago, um, before I started the Austin Stone in Austin, I was taking a, a church planning class at Southwestern Baptist Seminary. 
And I had been sort of dreaming and praying about planting a church for two years. I didn't want to start a church unless the Lord made it really clear. So I really spent two years in prayer, just praying, saying, God, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to make it clear. I'm not going to go start a church on my own without your power. So two years I'm praying. I'm taking this class, and one of the things we had to do in our church planning class, we had to get assessed for church planning. So my wife, Jennifer, and I both went through this really long interview. And at the end of the interview, um, the next day, the professor of the church planning class approached me in class and he said, hey, Matt, I want to let you know that you scored really well on the church planning assess- assessment. And we like you, and so the, there's an organization through Southwestern Seminary that plants churches, and we would like for you to plant a church through us. And I was like, this is unbelievable. I've been praying for two years. God, you just answered my prayer. I've been praying, and now you've made it really clear. They approached me. I'm going to get to plant a church. So the professor said, all right, tomorrow let's go to lunch, and let's talk about it, and let's, let's plan things out and all that stuff. So we go to lunch together, and one of the first questions that he asked me was this. He said, where, where do you currently work at? Where are you a pastor at? And um, now before I tell you what I said to him, I want to give you some background on my life. Guys, I spent my whole life in a Baptist church. I was in a Baptist church nine months before I was born. I grew up Baptist. My parents were Baptist. My grandparents were Baptist. My great-grandparents were Baptist. I don't know past that, but there's a lot of Baptists running in my blood. And I got my master's at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I got my doctorate from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Planted the Austin Stone, which is a Baptist church. Y'all with me so far? All right, but the year before I planted the Austin Stone, when I had this interview, I was actually working at a Methodist church. And the reason I was working there is because Chris Tallman, y'all heard of him, he was the worship leader at the Woodlands United Methodist Church, and he reached out to me and said, hey, I would love for you to help run this contemporary service with me. You preach, I lead worship, it's Chris Tallman. It's a pretty cool church, they're good people, Bible-based, I said, I'll do it. And so for a year of my life, I worked at this Methodist church, okay? Now, here's the thing that I didn't really know at the time, but at a, at, a, at a Baptist seminary, apparently the word Methodist is a dirty word, amen? So when I said that, I work at Woodlands United Methodist Church. It was like the scene in the, in the Western movie where the guy walks in and the jukebox just goes, and stops. And he looked at me with this puzzled look on his face, and he looked at me and he said, he asked, Why? And that, I, I didn't realize where that was coming from. I said, well, because God called me there? Like, I, I didn't know what to answer. God called me there. And he sort of shook his head and ignored that. And it sort of probably, it hit me. I was like, oh, I bet he's flipping out that this was a Methodist church. And so I started going through the, the spiel. I gave y'all, hey, look, man, I'm, I'm Baptist. My parents are Baptist. Grandparents are Baptist. Great-grandparents are Baptist. I'm getting a degree at a Baptist seminary for crying out loud. And he's just like, yeah, yeah okay, okay. And, and then I thought, I'm in trouble here. I need to drop Chris Tomlin's name. And so I'm like, I'm actually working at a church where Chris Tomlin, you've heard of him. You know, he's leading worship. He's Baptist. He grew up at First Baptist Sulphur Springs. And, and, uh, and, and the professor looked at me and said, never heard of him, right? And so I knew I was in trouble. Long story short, church, right there at lunch, he withdrew that offer from me because I worked at, at that church for one year. And I was devastated. And um, within a short time, I actually met the head recruiter for the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. Same thing happened. 
He saw my assessment, offered me a church plant, and so I planted the Austin Stone Community Church, which is through the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention in Austin. And within a couple of years, because of just a lot of crazy, awesome God stuff, the church exploded. And with two or three years, we were running about 4,000 people, mostly college students. And um, it was one of the fastest growing churches in the United States at the time. And I, and I got started being asked to all these conferences to speak because of that. And um, what I'm about to tell you is, y'all need, again, need to forgive me. I was young and I was stupid. But I was preaching at one of these conferences, and I got finished, and I walked off the stage, and I was standing there greeting people, and uh, I look up, and there's this professor walking towards me. And in my mind, I literally thought, this guy's coming to apologize to me. He knows that he missed out on the Austin Stone. And that he realizes that he was wrong and he's going to come and repent to me in dust and ashes. This is what was going through my 20 near, arrogant 29-year-old mind. He walks up to me and he sticks his hand out. He says, hey, my name is, is Dr. So-and-so. And he just said, hey, I want to let you know that was a really helpful sermon. Thank you so much for that. And I keep waiting and he doesn't say anything else. And it hit me in the moment. This God doesn't remember me. This God doesn't know who I am. And so I looked back at him, and I said, you know, actually, Professor, I said, we've actually met before. Do you remember me? And he said, no, I don't, I don't remember you. Where have we met? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I was in your church planning class. Here's where it gets bad. Hang with me. I said, I was in your church planning class in seminary at Southwestern. And you offered me a church plant because I scored well on the assessment. But then you found out that I worked at a Methodist church, and you withdrew that offer. I looked at him and I said, you missed out on the Austin Stone. Big mistake, huh? And I turned around and walked off. I'm like, oh. I know, I know, it is bad, it is bad, it's bad. And listen, here's the thing, before you leave the church, um, <laughs> I was reading the Bible a couple years later and that, that thing came, the Spirit just brought that moment to my heart and I, I broke out in a cold sweat. I found that guy's number. I called him and apologized. So you don't have to leave the church. I apologize. I repented in dust and ashes. But here's the thing. That's an example in my life of the opposite of meekness. When he had power over me, he used that power to sort of hurt me. And it offended me. And when the, but, but when the power dynamic changed... Then I used the power I had to shame him and retaliate against him. That's the opposite of meekness. And, and listen, the opposite of meekness actually has a name. You know what the opposite of meekness is? The name of the opposite of meekness? It's got a name. It's called sin. It's called sin. And that's what I did, and that's what we do. Now, maybe you've never done anything like that, but unfortunately, I have. Most of us have. And when I think about the way I acted toward that guy on that day, it horrifies me. Because in that moment, my behavior towards that man was about as far removed as how Jesus acted as I could possibly get. It's about, a, it's, it's about as far removed from Christ-like behavior as a human being can get, if you, if you think about it. And as a matter of fact, when we act in a way that's the opposite of meekness, which is using our power for our own benefit, not the benefit of others, it's not just ungodly church, it's arguably satanic. And I'm gonna tell you why. Here's what I mean by that. With the exception of the Trinity, Satan is one of the most powerful beings in the universe. 
The scripture teaches us that he is beautiful, he's intelligent, he's cunning, and he's incredibly powerful. But here's the question, how does Satan use his power? How does he use his beauty? How does he use his cunning? He uses that immense power to lie and to deceive and to destroy, to get his own desires, not the desires of the Lord. And so if you force me to define what does satanic power look like, I would probably tell you that the best way to define satanic power would be the opposite of meekness. And I'm going to say something that's really hard, but I've thought about it a lot, and I'm going to stick by it, and it's this. When you really get down to the bottom of what's going on in Satan, I would say this. I would say that I don't think you ever really look more like Satan than when you're using the power God has given you for your own desires at the expense of other people. But at the exact same time, I don't think you're ever gonna look more like Jesus than when you are submitting your power and controlling your power, not for your own desires, but for the desires and the good of other people. Turn with me quickly to John 13, three. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. This is the night before, John 13, three. This is the night before Jesus would die on a cross. He's in the upper room with the disciples. He's about to die for the sins of the world. And I've thought about it. I don't know about you, but if I'm about to, if it was me, like I think I would struggle with being humble in that moment. You know, Jesus, I think I would have been saying stuff like, hey, I'm about to die for all you people tomorrow. Give me some props, pat me on the back. I'd look at Peter and say, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. I'm still gonna die for you, man. I think I would be pointing the light on me that's just in my flesh. I think what I would be doing, that's not what Jesus did. John 13, three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Verse four, it says, he rose from supper He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. So it's the night before Jesus would die on a cross for the sins of the world. Everybody look at me. The king of the universe, the king of the universe gets down on his hands and his knees and he washes the dirt off the feet of the people he created. Think about that. It's one of the greatest displays of power under control used for the benefit of others in the history of the world. And look at verse 12, John 13, 12. It says, and when he had washed their feet and he put on his outer garments and he resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? And then Jesus said in verse 13, he said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I love that verse. Jesus said, hey, y'all been calling me teacher, and y'all been calling me Lord, and guess what? You should, because I am the Lord. I am the Lord, he said. Don't let anybody ever tell you Jesus didn't say he was God because he just said it right there. He says, I am the Lord. And if I'm the Lord, 
and I'm getting on my hands and knees, and I'm submitting my power for the good of the people to the point of washing their feet. And you ought to do the same. And then watch what he says in verse 17. Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Seems like I've heard that blessed word before. Sagemont, right outside these doors is a sculpture of Jesus on his hands and knees washing one of the disciples' feet. I don't even know if you've paid attention to it before. But I want to challenge you that from now until the Lord takes you home or Jesus comes back, that when you walk out those doors and you see that sculpture, that it would be, that it would remind you, that it would remind you that that's what meekness looks like. That the God of the universe got on his hands and his knees and served. It's called meekness. Let's look at the verse one more time. Matthew chapter five, verse five. Jesus said, blessed, the highest form of human blessing is found when you are meek, power and control. And then he says, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus tells us, this is what's gonna happen to you and me. This is what we're gonna receive if we're meek. He says, we're going to inherit the earth. Now guys, it's a short sermon today, almost done, hang with me. Here's the thing. Got about another page and a half of notes. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, he's talking about two things. That will inherit the earth, he's talking about a current reality, he's talking about a future reality that will inherit the earth. And so let's talk for a second about the future reality. What does Jesus mean that, you know, in the future we're gonna inherit the earth? Well, when Jesus comes back, the scripture tells us in Revelation that he's going to create a new earth. I may do a series on heaven here at some point. Um, but we're not going to be, when we go to heaven, we're not going to be in, these, in the clouds hanging out with naked babies that play harps. That's not what heaven's going to be like. Jesus, or, or, God actually destroys the earth and he creates a new earth, which is really cool. Because there's going to be no sin, there's going to be no conflict, there's going to be no death, there's going to be no hurricanes, there's going to be, amen, I got an amen in Houston for that one. There's going to be no flooding. There you go. There's going to be no wars. There's going to be no poverty. There's going to be no racism. There's going to be no injustice. The new earth will be completely devoid of sin, which means it's going to be completely devoid of the effects of sin, which will mean there will be no cats. Amen. Right? And so, did y'all know that cats are the only domesticated animal that's not in the Bible? Go look it up. It's a true story. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, he's saying, listen, that the defining characteristic, that the, the, one of the defining characteristics of a person that is on their way to heaven is that they will display meekness in their life. And the opposite of that is true. That a person that's not on their way to heaven is not gonna display meekness in their life. So that's the future reality, but there's a current reality to this phrase that the meek will inherit the earth. And again, it goes back to this blessing thing. He's saying that the highest form of human blessing that you're gonna experience right here on this earth is when you display meekness. So listen carefully to this. This week, in this text, Jesus is saying, look, Highest form of blessing and satisfaction you're gonna get is through meekness. In a couple weeks, it's gonna say the same thing. Highest form of human blessing and satisfaction is gonna come through peacemaking. 
And I don't know if you've noticed, though, but the world is trying to find blessing and satisfaction to the opposite of that. The world is trying to find blessing and satisfaction not through meekness and peacemaking, but they're trying to find blessing and satisfaction through the abuse of power and war-making. Here's a question for you. How's that working out for us? Finding blessing and satisfaction through the abuse of power, how's that working out for us? I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name, the police officer that sat on the neck of George Floyd, Derek Chauvin maybe. When he did that, when he placed his knee on that man's neck, did it produce blessing? Nope. It was an abuse of power, and it produced death. When the rioters went out and tore down their cities, did it produce blessing? No. For the people that lost their businesses and for the 12 or so people that died, it produced death. And so I wonder if maybe, just maybe, it's time that we remember that there was a man named Jesus Christ from Nazareth that stood on a hillside by the Sea of Galilee and said, I have a better way for you to find happiness and blessing. So what would happen, church, if we actually started living this out? Like, what would happen if we actually started living, we started actually doing this in a world that is at each other's throats? What, what if we started, like, reaching across ideological, socioeconomic, racial divides, not to compromise our own beliefs, but to wash their feet? Think about it. Jesus washed the feet of a guy that would betray him and send him to the cross. Jesus washed the feet of a guy named Peter that would deny him three times, and he'd have to go running after him to get him back into the ministry. What if we started reaching, as we, we as Christians started reaching across our divides, not to compromise our beliefs, we will never do that, but to love, like Jesus loved. If we use the power that God's given us not to tear people down, but to build them up for the glory of Christ. Crazy idea here, but what if we did it in our marriages? What if we did it in our homes with our children, grandchildren, workplaces, communities, churches? What if we actually tried to find happiness in the place that Jesus said we would find it? Jesus said, through meekness, you will be blessed. Now, some of you guys are probably thinking, Matt, I don't know if I can do this. Pastor Matt, you don't know the hurt I've experienced. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know the anger that I feel. I just don't know if I can display meekness in my particular situation. If that's where you're at, I wanna, I wanna do something similar that I did last week. I want you to consider the cross. If you're in a situation that you're like, I just don't know if I can display meekness here, I want you to consider the cross. Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was a completely innocent man. Y'all with me? Completely innocent man. And he was being murdered by the people that he created. Think about the meekness, the power under control that it took for him to stay on the cross, to endure that. Think about it. You want to talk about power under control. 
Jesus, with the sound of his voice, with one word, could have called down a legion of angels and destroyed the Roman soldiers and, and wiped them off the face of the planet. But he didn't do it. That's not what he did. What did he do? He controlled his power for the good of the people that were murdering him. Jesus used his power not to retaliate but to love. Jesus used his power not to get off the cross but to stay on the cross. And if Jesus can display meekness on Calvary, then how in the world can we not display meekness here in America? Church, our country is falling apart. But 2,000 years ago, our Lord and Savior showed us a better way. Better way. So let's be a people that are, that are poor in spirit. Let's be a people that mourn our sin. And let's be a people that walk in meekness. Because when we do, Jesus says, not only when we, will we inherit the earth, but I have a feeling that the world might actually see a difference in us and follow it themselves. And so here's the last thing I'm saying. Is there an area in your life that you need to be displaying meekness? Is there an area of your life that the Holy Spirit has been calling you and leading you to display meekness? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's with an enemy. Maybe it's someone with a different political view. But here's the thing. You have a choice today. I have a choice today. We can keep doing it the world's way. Or we can do it Jesus' way. Jesus said we're blessed when we're meek. And I believe him. So let's pray. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, just take just a minute, do business with the Lord. He's revealing an area in your life where you have been sort of living out the opposite of meekness. Ask him to give you the power to walk in meekness like Jesus did. And, and I'll tell you this, this is impossible to do if you have not been made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's impossible. You'll never do it. And the promise of the scripture, the promise of the word of God, the promise of Christ is that if you will trust in him as your Lord and Savior, then he forgives you of your sin and he makes you a brand new creature. He gives you his spirit. He adopts you into his family. He actually gives you the power to live it out. And so if there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, just right now, do that. Ask him to be your Lord. Ask him to be your Savior. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and make you new. Father, I want to ask you this, that the people of Sagemont Church God, that you would give us the power to do this. Lord, we don't have the power in and of ourselves, God, but you do. Lord, I pray that when situations come up this week, that your spirit would bring to mind what you did on the cross and what you did when you washed our feet. And that we would respond your way and not our way. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word and its power and its clarity and its anointing, God. 
Pray that you would give us the power to live it out. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.